you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Um, I think probably all of us grew up hearing the story of Little Red Riding Hood. Uh, you probably know it. I don't have to retell it. Little girl decides to go visit her sick grandmother. Uh, the big bad wolf hears about her plans, decides to go in and uh, trick Little Red Riding Hood so that he can eat her. Um, so he goes to grandmother's house, gets rid of grandmother, and disguises himself as grandmother. Now, as I was thinking about this story, I began to think, who in the world decided that this was a children's story? I mean, is it any, I mean, think about it. I mean, surely we have something better in children's literature to read our small children than a big wolf that eats grandma waiting to eat Little Red Riding Hood, right? I mean, uh, no no wonder we have nightmares, or as kids we had nightmares, but all of us probably heard it as a kid. Uh, Little Red Riding Hood goes through the forest, she gets to grandma's house, everything's great, she knocks on the door, the big bad wolf looks like grandmother, he's dressed up like grandmother, he opens the door, and uh, everything's going great until Little Red Riding Hood begins to make some observations. She looks and says, you know, my, what big ears you have, and the wolf says, the better to hear you, my dear, and says, what big eyes you have, oh, the better to see you, my dear, and then she gets to the punchline, what big teeth you have, better to eat you, my dear, and again, PG-13 story, probably, you know, not, not good, uh, but it was a scary story when we were kids, this big bad wolf, but you know, as we've gotten older, wolves don't hold the same fear for us as they once did. Uh, they, we're not really as scared of wolves as we were when we were little kids and to, to think about what they could do to us. We don't run into them on a regular basis. Now, think about when you're walking somewhere through the community and you come across a, uh, you know, beware of dog sign. That, that will put a fright into you. Sometimes you're jogging, you're walking, and it says beware of dogs. You stop or you go the other way. Imagine if you were, were jogging or walking and all of a sudden you came across a big sign that said beware of wolves. What would that make you think? How hesitant would that cause you to be? You see, in our verse this morning, in the passage this morning, Jesus is setting out a big beware of wolf sign. And he doesn't set it out at the zoo, and he doesn't set it out at the forest, and he doesn't even set it out at Little Red Riding Hood's house. He sets it out at the front steps of the church. And you and I, as people that claim the name Jesus Christ, that claim to be followers of Christ, we need to be very aware of why it was so important for Jesus to put that sign up. And we need to be very on guard because Jesus himself tells us that there are wolves all around us with no other goal than to deceive, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So if you have a passage, let's look at what Jesus says and how Jesus says it. You know, false teaching, as I read a moment ago from Ephesians, false teaching from Timothy is nothing new. It's been around um, since the Old Testament. There were false prophets and false teachers in the Old Testament. So by the time of Jesus' day, they were well aware that there were things that they called wolves. Matter of fact, the the phrasing comes from Ezekiel. Ezekiel says that there are wolves seeking to to bloody people. Ezekiel 22, 27, talking about the church or the, the synagogue, the temple. The officials within the temple are like wolves tearing their prey, and they shed blood and they kill people to make unjust gain. And the prophets whitewash these deeds by false visions and lying divinations. And they proclaim, this is what God says, but God has not spoken. 
Jeremiah 14, 14 says the same thing. It says these people prophesy for their own gain and out of their own mind. So by the time Jesus comes along to begin to teach this, it, it, it's nothing new because people have been using God to build their own kingdom, using God for their own profit, to justify their own sinful action, uh, using God as an excuse for whatever action and behavior they want since the Garden of Eden. It's nothing new for Jesus, and it's nothing new for us. But Jesus knew that once He established the church, once He decided that the church was going to be His method of reaching the world with His message, He knew it was going to be in danger. Because He knew as dangerous as the false prophets were in the Old Testament, that there would be false prophets that would come into the church and try to imitate the works of the church and lead people astray. In Matthew 24, 24, he prophesied about what would happen. He said, in the last days, false Christ and false prophets will appear. And they will perform great signs and miracles to deceive even those who are elect, even those who claim the name Christ. They will be deceivers. Paul, as I said earlier, was so worried about the church at Ephesus that after his third missionary journey, he's on his way to Rome. He had left Ephesus, spent two years there, pouring his heart out to it, sent Timothy there. But even as he's traveling to Rome, he calls the spiritual leaders of Ephesus over to him in Macedonia so that they can visit with him before he goes to Rome. And he gives them this warning. Acts chapter 20, 28, it says, Keep watch over yourselves and the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which He bought with His own blood. For I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. He says, Be on your guard. Matter of fact, when he writes to Timothy, he even names them in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He calls them out. says, watch out for these guys and begins to name these people that are wreaking decision and, and divisiveness in the church. Now I know any time that you teach or you preach on false teachers, any time that you begin to mention false teachers, and I'm not going to give you, people say, well, give us a list. I, I can't because the list grows every day. It changes every day. And what good is it to just give you a list and say, watch out for these people when there are people all around us that you're not aware of that spring up. But anytime you start talking about false teachers, people get defensive. Whenever you begin to mention, I remember a couple of years ago, I mentioned Oprah and how Oprah, her, her theology and her religious understanding has nothing to do with the God of the Bible and how she is a false teacher. And you may love Oprah and she may do lots of great things and I'm not arguing any of that. But I'm telling you, when she tells you that there are a lot of paths to God, and if you're sincere enough, you can get to heaven and you can have a relationship with God through all types of things. That is so contrary to what the Word of God says and what we learned last week at Easter, that there is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. So that's a false teaching. And so by saying that, people get all, they get bristly. Oh, pastor, now we're not to judge. But that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus teaches here in the Sermon on the Mount. Matter of fact, he teaches that judgment starts in the house of God. And that you and I are supposed to be on guard because it's so dangerous to get pulled into false teaching. Because it corrupts not only the message and ministry of the church, but it will destroy your Christian walk. And it will give you a false sense of salvation and a false sense of understanding that you begin to think that you know the truth, but you don't. 
Not only does he give us a warning, but he gives us a standard. Listen to what he says. Verse 15, For watch out for false prophets, for they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. For every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. doesn't say by, their, by how they look. Because they look like sheep. See, you can't judge false teachers according to the appearance that they have. They may have huge followings. They may have great big churches. They may have lots of books. They may be on every religious TV channel you turn on. They may have a whole lot of people that love them to death. But that doesn't mean that they are a sheep. Because what Jesus says is once you pull back the skin and begin to see what they are teaching... The reality of who they are comes true. Now, now listen, when I say false teaching, when I say a false prophet, when we talk about false teaching, we're not talking about a preacher or a teacher that was in a Sunday school class or in a sermon and said something that didn't make sense or that was kind of theologically sketchy one time. Because if that was the case, all of us would be disqualified. I am so glad I'm not held accountable for the things I taught 30 years ago when I first got into ministry. I, 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 I look back at some of my notes and I'm like, you said that? Because as we mature and grow, we come and, and we all make mistakes, but we grow into what God is teaching us and how we can teach. And the best thing about people that are teaching and leading is they correct their mistakes. No, Jesus is talking about people who deliberately mislead others using Jesus and the church and the Bible and God for their own gain. They are dangerous, they are deceptive, and they are corrupt, and they need to be called out. Matter of fact, as the shepherd of this flock, it is my responsibility to protect you and to call out when wolves are around. As I said earlier, if there was ever a time that We need to be warned it's today because false teachers have ingrained themselves in every area of the church and the religious society we're around. No denomination is immune. No group of people is immune. No group of people is safe. Because the Bible says they are all around us and we are called to be on guard. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11, 14, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So it's not surprising that his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. What's Paul saying? He's saying, listen, if the devil himself can pretend to be an angel, then surely false teachers can pretend to be sheep. You and I need to be made aware. You and I need to open our eyes. Jesus says you can't tell by looking at them. So how do you know? You examine their fruit. He says, look at what they're producing. Look at the fruit that they are producing. And that is a way to determine whether or not they are a false teacher. So as we talk about examining their fruit this morning, let me just give you a little warning about why false teachers are so dangerous. What's the big deal? Why should we worry about it? Why should we care? Well, first of all, many false teachers pervert the gospel. They take the Word of God and they water it down and they pick and choose to make whatever they want to be said and taught sound palatable. 
They say what people want to hear. They say what the crowds are yearning for. That's what Paul was warning Timothy about. They take the gospel that sets people free and they enchain them again to legalism. See, most false gospels are wrapped around your behavior instead of God's behavior. It's wrapped around what you can do or what you think you can do instead of what God already did. Why? Because in a false teaching society, what they want to do is control you. They want to manipulate you. They want to guilt you into doing what is best for them, not what's best for the church, not what's best for God, not what's best for His kingdom. They teach work over grace, and they demand obedience to them instead of intimacy with God. In those type of churches, you do not question what is taught. You do not question what is done. You don't ever question what might be said. They don't call you to it. All it's about is what they can do for you. You see, what happens is a false teacher will put himself in between your relationship to God, and they will convince you that you have to have them to have a relationship to God. They will convince you that they're the only preacher that really is speaking the truth. They're the only teacher that can really help you hear from God. That's why I say it's so dangerous. And and listen, I hear from the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. I pray, and just like you do, you're, I'm no different than you. You hear from the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. But I think it's dangerous when pastors in the pulpit say, God told me this. But you see, what it implies is that God is speaking to them, and you need to hear from them to hear from God. You don't need to hear from me to hear from God. I'm here to whet your appetite. I'm here to teach you and to, to, to show you truth. But false teachers will always tell you that you've got to come through them. And that they're the only ones who can get you. They accommodate the culture over Calvary. You see, false teachers adapt their teaching according to what the culture says is acceptable. Whatever is popular at that time, they change it to fit that culture. They change it to fit whatever people say is acceptable. They redefine truth to justify their behavior. You see, what was once sin is no longer sin because it's my sin. Right? When I begin to struggle with that sin, that sin no longer becomes a sin. And we can find ways to say that it's not sin anymore. See, their gospel may make you feel good. It may make you walk out, lift it up, but it never will satisfy your soul. It is never rivers of living water and it will never satisfy your spirit. They pervert the gospel. Other people prostitute the gospel. You see, what they do is they trade and sell the gospel for power and popularity and position and profit. It's not my words, it's Paul's words. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.17, says they peddle or prostitute the word of God for their own profit. Now make no mistake, they may say and preach the blood, but they sell it for their own benefit. They sell it for their own pocketbooks. They sell it for their own kingdom. They may throw God's name around, but really, in reality, it's all about them. And we're surrounded with people like that. You see, the problem is, when you pervert the gospel and you prostitute the gospel, you rob the gospel of its power, because the power to change lives is this truth. And when you water down this truth, when you water down the power of this truth, then you water down the the lives that can be changed. You see, the real danger is not your money. Yes, a lot of them want your money. Yes, a lot of them want you to to turn them on and to listen. But what they want is you. 
Because you see, the more people that can follow them, the more popular they get and the more people will listen. The more people that they have that justify and say that they're okay and begin to, to stay silent and not say anything when we have questions, the more people get sucked into it. The more people get drawn into it and the more people get manipulated and used and pulled away from the freedoms that are in Christ. Jesus says there are false prophets. They're wolves. They've got sharp teeth. And their target is you and I. You see, the result of these false teachers is a weak, confused, lost, and hurting sheep. Sheep that have no power, sheep that have no hope, and sheep that are confused. And for the church, it ruins our reputation. Because people look at these false teachers and they think that's the truth, when in reality it's a lie. Romans 16 says this, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you have learned. Stay away from them. For such people are not serving Jesus Christ. They are serving their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. So how can you tell? If you can't tell by looking, if you can't tell by, by, by evaluating what you see, how can you tell? You can tell by their fruit. What do they produce? So let me give you quickly three fruits, three ways that you can evaluate whether or not someone is a real teacher and a false teacher. And let me just say this. You should evaluate any person that stands before you and says, Thus saith the Lord. Anytime somebody stands up, whether it's in a Sunday school classroom, a small group Bible study, at work, in a devotional time, anytime somebody says, this is what the Word of God says, your ears should perk up and you should say, let's see. Not sit back and say, well, the pastor said it. I read it in some book. We sing about it in some song. No, you need to evaluate everything to see what its fruit is. And the first fruit that you need to evaluate is the doctrine that's being taught. What is being taught? Do they preach another God than the God of the Bible? Do they preach the whole counsel of God? Do they preach that God is holy and righteous and just? Or is God just some good old happy man that wants to grant your wishes if you pass along Facebook posts? Right? What do they teach about God? Do they teach another God? Do they teach another Jesus? Do they teach that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he died on the cross for our sins so that you and I might be redeemed, that he was buried and dead and rose from the grave on the third day to overcome death, to overcome the sting and the pain of this life so that you and I might experience resurrection? Do they teach that he is the only way to salvation or do they teach he's just a good example to follow? Do they teach he's just a good man? Do you understand that, that there was a Baptist church in this community a little over 10 years ago, a big Baptist church that had to have a church-wide vote to determine whether Jesus was actually the resurrected Messiah or just a good teacher? They voted on it. And it passed 70 to 30%. So there was 30% of the people in that Baptist church, the Lord Baptist church, that thought there were other ways to heaven besides Jesus Christ, and he was just a good example to follow. Let me ask you, when you hear somebody talking about Jesus, you need to say, is this the Jesus of the Bible? 
Is this the Jesus that I've heard taught? 1 John 2, says, Who is the liar? The liar is the man that denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist, and he denies the Father and the Son. For you cannot have the Father without the Son. John goes on in 1 John 4, 2. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. For every spirit that acknowledges Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. But if they don't acknowledge that Jesus is from God, it's not the Spirit of God. See, I hear people all the time say, Rusty, I just love Jesus. You know, I just want to love Jesus. And that sounds so nice. But the problem is the Jesus that they want to love is not the Jesus of the Bible. It's a Jesus of their own creation that they've taken a highlighter out and the things they like about Jesus, they highlight and say, this is the Jesus I want. And Jesus says, we learned last week, you don't come to me on your terms. You come to me on his terms. So are they preaching another God? Are they preaching another Jesus? Are they preaching another gospel? Because you see, the gospel is about salvation and redemption. That's what good news means. My chains have been broken. I've been set free. I've been saved. I've been redeemed. I've been reconciled. You see, the gospel is about forgiveness and grace and mercy and love. It's not about health, wealth, and prosperity. It's not about how much God can bless you if you do certain things. It's not about having levels of faith that somehow the more faith you get, the more you can manipulate God to do what you want. You see, if anyone tells you the gospel is anything but about Jesus and Christ and Christ alone, it's not the gospel of the Bible. Galatians 1.8 says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we've preached to you, let that person be eternally condemned. As we have already said, and so I now say again, if anyone is preaching you a gospel other than the one that the Bible teaches that is accepted, let them be eternally condemned. Let me ask you this. That gospel that you hear preached, here's a sure way to test whether or not it's false or true. Can it be preached in every corner of the world and set people free? Ask yourself. When you hear a preacher preaching and they're talking and they're teaching, ask yourself, could that message be preached in the, in, in the jungles of Brazil? Could that message be preached in the slums of Eastern Europe? Could that message be preached in the mountains of Mexico? Could that message be preached in the middle of of the inner cities of the United States of America and set people free? Because you see, the gospel that says that God wants you to be rich and happy and famous, that doesn't work in the slums of Brazil. That doesn't set anybody free that's living in a, a box with their family. See, the gospel's the good news that sets people free. Ask, what are they teaching? Do they teach another God? Do they teach another Jesus? Do they teach another gospel? Do they teach another book? I've heard pastors recently say, God gave me a new word. God spoke to me as if somehow that new word was elevated up with what Scripture teaches. That's heresy. Does God speak to you? Yes. I hope he does. God speaks to me on a regular basis. I hope he speaks to you. But everything that God says to you will always be consistent with what's found in his word. God will never contradict his word. I don't care what and how spiritual somebody is, how much mystic mojo is going on for them to say, I heard a new word from God. If it is not consistent with what this book says, it is false. 
can't add to the Word of God. Matter of fact, Proverbs 30 says this, Every word of God is flawless, and He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to His words, or He will rebuke you and prove you a liar. See, He says, what's a fruit? Look at their doctrine. But not just their doctrine. The second fruit is look at their character. Is how they live consistent with the Word of God and what's being taught in the Word of God? Look at their conduct. Look how they act. You see, the fruits of a bad tree are things like divisiveness. There's divisiveness. They're telling you that you need to, to reject everyone else around you that doesn't believe exactly the way you believe, and you need to watch out. They tell you that you don't need to ever question anything that's being taught. Divisiveness, ungodliness. There's, there's no call to holiness in the fruit of a bad tree. Because it's about what you want. It's about what makes you feel good. Bitterness. Condemnation. Control. Those are all the characteristics of a bad tree. But what does a good tree produce? Holiness. A desire to be more like Christ. Produces worship of God. You see, there's always a quick test. Is the preacher or teacher that you're listening to, are they pointing you to God or are they pointing you to them? See, when you walk out of there, do you say, God is so great and God is so good? Or do you say, man, that speaker was good. Because if all you got out of it was he told a few jokes and he was funny and he had a couple of good sayings, then you missed it. Because the goal of every person that ever opens this book is to draw you to Jesus, to teach you about Jesus, to make you hungry for Jesus. fruit of a good tree is is servanthood it's always about selflessness not me but christ hidden behind the cross see a bad tree a bad fruit always is about me it's always about you know what can i do for me what can i do for my kingdom what can i do for my name how can i put myself out there but the good tree says no i'm going to stay hidden in the cross it's not about me See, we need to ask ourselves to examine their conduct, to examine their doctrine. And the third fruit, examine their disciples. What are they producing? Are the people that are following them, are they drawing others to Christ or are they drawing others to a person, to a ministry, to a church? See, I, I, listen, I believe God's going to fill this place up. God's given me a vision, and I'm not saying that supernatural. I'm just telling you, when we got here 10 years ago, God had put a dream in my heart, and I don't think he's done. And so I believe very soon there's, we're just going to be full of people that are hungry for Jesus. But I don't want you leaving this place to go tell people, you've got to come to First Baptist because Rusty's funny, or Rusty can really preach and teach. I don't want you saying you've got to come because the music's good or, or we've got a children's ministry and we're growing with a lot of young people or it's convenient for you to come or it's a nice building or it's comfortable in here. You see, I want you to go and say, Jesus, you can't walk out of the place without being confronted and understanding Jesus. You can't walk out of the place without having an experience with something spiritual and bigger than yourselves because, you see, that's what will draw people. But the disciples of a false teacher will always draw them to a person. Look at the lifestyle of a disciple. Are they living consistently with what's being taught? You see, guys, none of us in this room are immune 
You understand, those that died with Jim Jones 40 years ago in the jungles of South America, 800 people. Those were good, sincere people. The 100 people that died 25 years ago with David Koresh and Waco, those were good and smart and sincere people. The people that are getting sucked in today into false teaching, they're your family members, your neighbors, your co-workers. Some are even you. We're being bombarded on every side. See, at first glance, it may sound spiritual. It may sound good because they always sprinkle just enough truth to pull you in. But in reality, it's wolves. So what can we do? Let me just close with giving you a hint of what we need to do. First of all, protect yourself. Open your eyes. Be aware. Test everything. Anytime you hear a preacher or teacher say, just believe me, your ears should perk up. I've heard pastors, I've been places where pastors said, listen, we want you to check your brains at the door today and just trust the Spirit. Sirens should go off. God doesn't tell you to check your brains at the door. God works through our thoughts, through our hearts, through how we wrestle with what He's trying to teach us. Test them. Be like the Bereans when you hear something taught. And listen, you haven't heard. I know, I know some will say, well, if it's something that I hadn't heard before, maybe it's a false teaching. That doesn't mean it's false teaching. It just means you're spiritually ignorant. Okay? I mean, that went over some of your heads. Did he call me ignorant? We all are. There are a lot of things in this book that you probably hadn't heard before. Taught ways that you hadn't heard before. So when you hear something different, don't automatically go, no. What you do is go, show, where is it? See, we got more Bibles in America. We lose more Bibles in America than are available in the rest of the world. Every one of us has four or five. We got them sitting in our cars, sitting on our shelves, gathering dust everywhere. This is how you determine a wolf from a sheep. When somebody teaches something, open it up and look. That's why I tell you every Sunday, bring a Bible, even if it's online and whatever, so that you can follow along. Don't trust me. Trust the Word. Protect yourself. Open your eyes to the reality of what's going on. Get in a Bible study. Go somewhere where people are learning about this book so that you can grow spiritually. Know what you believe, but more importantly than that, know why you believe it. See, my generation and and as many of your generations, we had things like um, Baptist training union and Sunday schools and mission friends and all those things. And they were all great because they poured the word of God into us. But one of the things that I learned when I got into ministry back in 1987 and youth ministry was just starting out. One of the things that I realized is we were teaching a whole lot of people what we believed, but we weren't teaching them why we believed it. We weren't teaching them to ask questions and to wrestle and to understand why. So there's a lot of you, you know what you believe, you just don't know why. That's dangerous. Ask the question, why do I believe this? What does it say about it in the Word of God? Do I believe it because my grandma taught it to me or because it was a story that was passed down or because some preacher said it or it's in a song that we heard on the radio or do I believe it because it's in the Word of God? Guard your heart. Second thing, don't eat their fruit. If it's a false teacher, if you have a question, if you have a doubt, don't eat anything that they're giving out. 
See, I know people today say, listen, Pastor, I know he's got some crazy ideas, but man, there's some good stuff in this book. I know he's out there in left field and there's no real depth, but man, some of this stuff is okay. John warned in 2 John 10, don't welcome them in, don't take them in your house, have nothing to do with them. Because see, all it takes is just a little poison, just a little leaven to get into the yeast and ruin the whole batch. There is so much stuff out there to read and to listen to and to study that doesn't have any error. Why waste your time with stuff that you're worried about what's going to come through truth or not? Don't eat their fruit. Protect yourself. And the third thing, don't envy their success. Because the world measures success differently than God measures success. See, sometimes we get caught up in the idea that if a lot of people are following, what they're saying must be true. They got a big building. What they're saying must be true. I served for a summer in Missoula, Montana, doing summer missions when I was between college and high school and college. And I went out there, and it's a whole other world from Southern Boy and Southern Baptist Boy from East Texas. It was a whole other world. Missoula, Montana had about 10,000 residents, and most of the residents lived 100 miles away. The largest Baptist church in Missoula, Montana had 45 people there. And so I was going out and telling people about Jesus and doing door-to-door stuff. We were doing vacation Bible school and trying to get people to bring their kids to vacation Bible school. And I had one mom look at me. She said, she said let me ask you, which church are you? I said, I'm with that church right, right down the street up there. She goes, really? That's a little church. I said, we don't have a lot of people, but we're growing. She said, well, you know, I, I'm thinking about sending my kids to that big church because there was a huge Mormon church there. And she said, because you see that big, did you see the big building on the corner? The huge, that looks like a nice, God must really be blessing them because they've got a big building. Now I know we say we don't think that way, but we do. They sell a lot of books. Surely there must be something good in this. Don't envy their success. Trust God. You see, you and I need to be careful. Because there are times when sheep are very vulnerable. Have you ever watched sheep? And Jesus compares us to sheep all the time, and he's the good shepherd. Have you ever watched sheep? They are very vulnerable at times. When they're real young, they're very vulnerable. Spiritually, when you're immature, when you're young, not age, maturity, you're vulnerable. When you haven't learned what you believe and why you believe, you're vulnerable to getting sucked in. When sheep get wounded, they're vulnerable. Because you see, when you get wounded, you let your guard down. You're angry, you're hurt, wanting someone to help. You're very vulnerable. When you're all alone, you're very vulnerable. You don't have the rest of the flock to protect you. When you don't have the shepherd with his crook ready to take care of the wolves, you're vulnerable. That's why I tell people all the time, it's dangerous to try to live the Christian life separated from the local church. You're vulnerable. When you're hungry, you're vulnerable. Paul warns that if we're not careful, we'll get tossed to and fro by every whim of doctrine. And you see, I see it so many times that young Christians get hungry and they just want to eat and they they go to the Christian bookstore and they just start buying and they just start reading and they just start reading and they don't recognize that some of what they're eating is poison. Be very careful. Be on your guard. I don't want you to be skeptical. I want you to be open-eyed. But you see, what we need to recognize is right now, while we've been listening to this sermon, 
all across this country, there are wolves in sheep's clothing. They hunger for power and prestige and profit. And they're about building their own kingdom and their own work and not the Lord's. It's all about them and what they can do for you instead of what God has done for you. And they speak from the pages of this book, but they don't speak from the power of the Holy Spirit. Because their goal is their own appetites. They tickle people's ears, but they don't lead them to living water. So you and I need to open our eyes. Like little Red Riding Hood, we need to become aware of the situation. We need to observe better. To see that things aren't always what they seem. To discern truth from error, wolves from sheep, good trees from bad trees. You know, I know this is harsh. I know it sounds heavy. Sounds judgmental. Sounds tough. It's not my words. Jesus said, beware. Because there's wolves that look like sheep. That all they want to do is devour you. You know, when the U.S. government trains people to find false and fake and counterfeit money, you know what they do? They don't give them counterfeit money. You know what they do? They give them the real thing. And they tell them to study it and feel it and smell it and dig into it. Because, you see, they recognize that the more they recognize the genuine thing, the easier it is to spot what's fake. See, God's not calling us to go on a wolf hunt. I'm not telling you this morning, go out there and start listening to the radio and find out all the false teachers or when you watch TV to sit in the seat of the scornful and say, he's a false teacher. What I'm telling you is, chase Jesus with everything that you have. With the Word of God as your foundation, chase Jesus. Because the more you discover about Him, the more you discover about grace and mercy and unconditional love and the peace that passes understanding and the intimate relationship that God wants with you, guess what? you can begin to hear and discern what's fake and what's real. Open your eyes. My, what big teeth they have. Let's pray.